Hey guys, I'm Kira and you're listening to my show Inspired Lives live every Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Today I am joined by an incredible guest whom has had many lifetimes in this lifetime career expanding so much throughout the years. We're going to dive deep into her whole journey from theatre right up to what she's doing today. Um, Susie Savannah Hogan is Brisbane-born Queensland and she is now living in Ireland. And Susie, how are you today? I'm great, Kira. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to ask you all about your beautiful journey and inspire us all. So I'm here with Susie Savannah Hogan. Susie, tell us, how did you get into theatre? When did the inspiration come? Because I understand you're a dancer, but you're also an actress and a singer. Tell us, tell us about it all. Thanks, Kira. Yeah, I will. Well, I have, I sort of began that uh, part of my life uh, as a child, I would have done a lot of theatre work, say from the age of 12, uh, and street theatre, and then, and that was in Brisbane, and then I moved away and went to the Academy of Performing Arts in Western Australia, and that was when the theatre really took off, so I would have been involved in fringe festivals and some quite cutting-edge uh, stage productions, which was quite amazing. And then life took me overseas, so I went to Indonesia and I studied dance there, and then I ended up in the States and studying more dance, actually, funny enough, even though I was working in another job there, but I, in my part-time I studied uh, quite a bit of dance. And then I found myself in Ireland, and that's when I really uh, got into a deeply satisfying and really quite amazing theatre career here that focused on empowering youth. Um, I would often have adult groups as well, but it was primarily youth I worked with from as young as three and a half up to 18. And it was all about owning your voice and owning that sense of I'm okay, because I remember being 11 I, I directed 11 12 I directed my first show at around 12 and my national school teacher was so proud of me that I'd mobilized my class into this show and put it on stage she made the whole school come and see now have no illusions anyone it was terrible it was the worst thing anyone had probably ever put on stage but I still to this day remember my sixth class teacher so proud of me that nothing else mattered she was glowing she was so proud and I mean it was bad enough that half the school walked back out <laughs> um, and I was I didn't care I was so over the moon that this woman had believed in me I went you know what I'm okay yeah. and that's what inspired me to work so so much with youth and anyone that was really struggling because if we know that we are okay we can achieve anything, even when we feel down, even when we don't feel like we've got the strength in us to keep going, even if we feel anxious, if we know we are okay, deep inside that sense, yeah, okay, breathe, I've got this, and you can go out and take on the world. So it's really amazing when I run into students now and see them thriving and not just out in the world, doing and and surviving but truly thriving and living and happy so yeah well i have to say and guys like how i um came into contact with susie was she actually directed um i was in ty at the time and she directed a play that we were all in and just to give you uh, an idea if you haven't uh, met susie before she walked into the room and 
yes she does theatre but she's also a theatrical person she has the walk she has the talk she has the way but I'll never forget she was she walked in and she had these cowgirl boots and this cowgirl hat and you can just imagine because we're all in the monotone uniform and we're all you know in that blending in and she really stood out and I think what she really did was she made us all so comfortable and brought us all out of our comfort zones and suddenly there was friendship starting to bloom and people were starting to talk to one another and there was just beautiful dialogue and communication and creativity just blooming in the room and I'll never forget the amazing art that came out of that and a lot of people I think really did inspire them to join theatre groups in the town and join um, different things that were going on it really really helped bring them out of their shell yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> that was my first introduction to Susie and then to, to learn more about your journey. But you're not just... You you then went off and discovered archaeology and... I, I did. Yeah, okay. Well, that's because I had... You know, I was so successful with this theatre work and I, and again empowering. I, off, I really say it's about empowering and creating connections and that I was getting burnt out. I got very burnt out because I put 150% into what I do and I made the very difficult decision to step away from the from theatre in 2014, I think it was. I started to phase everything out and I was thinking, well, what am I going to do? And all I could think back to was when I finished high school, I thought, oh, I'd love to be an archaeologist. I was obsessed obsessed with Indiana Jones, which archaeologists <laughs> don't like you to put two and two together. But that's what inspired me and my I know that's something my father would have encouraged me into wanting to, to be an archaeologist. So I went, you know what, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I went off to NUIG and did a H-dip and loved it so much I did a master's back to back. So four years later I came out with a master's in landscape archaeology. So I find it informs a lot of what I do now. It informs... Uh, the writing that I do it informs even say uh, the yoga work I do and it informs when I'm with groups out in the landscape how people connect with landscapes and, and history even just in conversations I've watched people's faces light up because I get them to look at a landscape in a very different way particularly if there's a monument in the landscape or um, uh, say perhaps there might have been a barrow or a ring fort or like if we go for a walk in Tara, uh, there's nobody will see Tara the same way again if you come for a walk with me or things like that. So it really inspired me to look at the landscape here very differently and I try and again inspire other people to do the same thing because this heritage of this country is phenomenal and it is one of the most spectacular pieces of archaeological history that if you know where to look is continuous for 9,000 years in this landscape and it's magic wherever you look even if you're in an urban landscape or a rural landscape or out in the wilds if you know where to look it is absolutely phenomenal and you can see the echoes of all the people that came before today here in, in this landscape so yeah that's I think it's fascinating because you come you came from Australia can you tell us like what was the pro like main differences you noticed when they came to landscape? Like I know obviously Ireland has this cultural thing, and we have all these the folklore, and we have the fairy forts, and all those things in the landscape. But when it came to Australia and comparing, what what is the kind of differences that you'd notice? Most? Right, I could give you the highbrow explanation, but I'm not. I'm going to give you <laughs> the real one, yeah. which was I got here and went, oh my god, they've got. 
muscles everywhere. <laughs> and I was never so excited in my life and how green everything is. Even though I grew up in the tropics and there's a certain lushness there, there's also... Australia is very arid, so there's a dryness and a red, there's a red terracotta feel to everything. And the lush green here just, I fell in love with that. And, and again, everywhere I looked, there was a castle. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in heaven. So, yeah, it was because I was always, I was always interested in history. And I mean, I would have done three history subjects for Leaving Cert, our version of Leaving Cert in Australia. Um, right down to, you know, taking religion because it was a history subject so that I could have as much history as possible. And, yeah, it was... So I just got to walk in landscapes I had studied moving over here, so there was no way I was going back home because I, oh, I really get asked a lot, you know, oh, you're Australian, what are you doing here? I'm like, where else would I be? <laughs> this is amazing. Because Australia, even though there's that amazing... Aboriginal Indigenous heritage that is 40,000 years old it's very much embedded in the landscape much like Native Americans and and even say you know Neolithic peoples and and things like that Mm. so they don't really leave monuments and so Australia itself is you know it's under 300 years old so the buildings there's there's nothing it's it's history but it's modern it's very modern but that connecting with something that goes thousands and thousands and thousands of years deep is is very powerful and quite visceral for me i have to say i really very much connect deeply with this idea of the passage of time and space so you know it's just uh, i found it fascinating there when you were talking and touching on the fact that like i suppose there is a thing in ireland and I think it's, I suppose, if we think about that prime, that kind of primary kind of nature to be, to leave your mark when you leave this world. And I suppose that's probably the diff, I was just fascinated by that. That just struck me there, um, how you were explaining the differences that I suppose Australia, they didn't necessarily, because it wasn't in their customs, they believed to kind of leave everything as it was and just to blend into nature, I think. But there's definitely that thing. And I think it still carries up to the attitude of the Irish today and a lot of the, the pride that seems to be there is to leave your mark, to leave something behind you that represents your family or something like that. I don't know if it's necessarily just Irish. I think it's a human imperative. We, we, it's legacy. We want to leave a legacy, whether it's socially, culturally or personally. And the idea of legacy in terms of a culture that is expressed in a landscape via a monument or uh, even an old stone wall that from that you might find out in the countryside or say Queen Maeve's tomb up in Sligo on Knocknaray um, so it's it's really quite um, powerful to think that these peoples depending on where I say they they felt their society was within a culture would leave their mark so, yeah, and at different times that mark changes when it's moving from, you know, the hunter-gatherers into the beginning of agriculture and then this the rise of chieftains and then we start seeing the birth of warfare and then we move into uh, early sort of religious eras, like Christian eras, and then that the Anglo-Normans coming here and then we're moving into medieval period and then the famine and and there's just so much. I mean, I'm skipping over vast amounts there, but even just traveling through that amount of time is really 
just it's powerful and you can do that in a landscape you don't you're not just here and now time and space becomes a very loose construct because that's all it really is is a construct especially when you're looking at an archaeological landscape so oh it's amazing it blows my mind because you're not just an archaeologist there's so much more to dive into Hey guys, I'm here with Susie on Ross FM and we're talking all about your theatre and your archaeology. Can you tell me, like, is that the, you know, when it comes to the book, because you're also an author. Yes. <laughs> so between theatre and archaeology, do you think, like, which would be the key thing that inspired you there? Or did you always secretly deep down? Because I know a lot of authors have had a few on have all said that deep down they kind of knew they would write a book at some point in their life and I do think that's a thing with authors. Yeah, no, I did know. And I see I've written as a as a theatre practitioner, I've I've written and produced about twenty six plays. So I was already in many ways a writer. And I've edited for publication and public like pub, published um about six or seven books for other people as well so I knew it was only a matter of time before I did my own um and it was just funny after the archaeology degree which you know was a wonderfully expensive time out for my me and my brain but amazing and the best thing I ever did I sort of knew within six months after completing the degree that perhaps it was not what I would go into as a career, but it would inform my writing, both as a novelist and, I know, say, the topic of my master's, which was on phallus stones, which is a whole nother... We won't go into that now because that's... Uh, they're like the Oracle of Delphi is an on phallus stone, and so was the Turo stone in County Galway, and so is the... Um, cat stone up at the hill at Ishnok. So there's markers of the centre of the world. So there's a whole lot of research I did on that that I never got to put in my, my thesis. And so I will eventually put that all into some sort of book just for people to read because it's quite fascinating to understand how people created centres of the world in their own societies because they were important ways of connecting people to the land, to the cosmos and outlying tribes all together so it's it's that first step into a unifying consciousness which is really interesting so um so i knew that that's that's that would be something i would write about one day it's like the armchair archaeologists i'll sit in my armchair and i'll write sort of thing uh but i, I had started i had written about fifty, sixty thousand words of a novel and after i finished the degree i went right i know exactly where i need to put a lot of this information into um because I I would have studied a lot of mythology as well as part of my archaeology degree. And I remember always thinking to myself, gosh, there's always seeds of truth in every story. And what if, what if the Tua de Danon were actually real people? And what if, because then I, of course I started thinking about Atlantis, because, you know, you start thinking about mythology and who doesn't think of Atlantis? The mind spirals. <laughs> yes, it did spiral. And I went, hmm, what if Atlantis was real? And then I started thinking about other, like, heroes and, and goddesses and things like that. And I went, and if they were immortal, where would they hide? So this is what got me thinking. And all of a sudden I went, oh, you know where they'd hide? They'd hide in a circus like Cirque du Soleil. 100%. They'd hide there and do their immortal works in a circus. And that's where my first book was born from, this idea, and then it just kept going from there. So it's um, 
it's the Atlantis legacy I end up writing. So there's, there, there's probably about six books in the end when I'm finished. Um, I've finished one book, which is published, and it's called Serpents and Saviors. And it's actually set here in Ireland and begins in Athlone uh, and then moves out to Leitrim. And there's a, a little bit of it in Australia and the south of France, because I really will tie in Europe in the end, uh, and Italy. So it, it moves through Europe in the first book. Um, and it's this idea of introducing these, I guess, sleeping goddesses of earth, air, fire, water and spirit who are trapped in stasis in human form in and hidden in the world but they're connected to Atlantis and the fall of Atlantis and this idea that if they're not found the earth could fall into the hands of of evil you know classic good and evil tale but just yeah and then the two of Dedanon are alive and well and they're hiding in this circus and so there's all sorts of really interesting characters and I had a lot of fun I had a lot of fun writing it I've had a lot of fun working on book two which is nearly done um I just I got sidetracked last year uh, which we'll get into that in a little bit because you know there's so much more than the writing as well and the theater and the archaeology um but yeah that's sort of where I ended up focusing a lot of that energy after the archaeology degree. I went, you know what, I can really use this to my benefit in in these novels. And my son and I are crafting another novel together called The Archaeologist and the Time Witch. So I actually have to do a lot of research to, to in order to properly set that incorrect time and space and with its correct artifacts and things like that. So, yeah, it's a very interesting tale Um it's this idea that there's this time which she's she's she can travel through time and again there's important artifacts that if they fall into the wrong hands can uh could cause the unleashing of evil in the world so that would be a young adult novel that we're working on so my son drives the story i just do i'm just the researcher for him yeah well i'll tell you what you know you you know you found a good book when there's something you can learn from it not just this fantasy thing where it takes you into another world which this book totally does but i love the way you've backed it with actually historical stuff yeah archaeological archaeological stuff that 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 just that for me makes a good book it makes a good read have you a favorite character Oh, God, do I have a favourite character? Oh. Oh, I sort of love them all, really. My favourite characters, actually, are some of the animals in, in the... Because they're, they're quite... Um, there's a little squirrel called Quizzle, and he is quite uh, boisterous and likes to steal peanuts off a, a big <laughs> elephant called Fantas. So uh, I, I really enjoyed riding these magical animals because they all have important powers you know I, there's dragons woven into the the books as well and it's very interesting to get to explore dragons and how dragons might communicate with humans and so they, they're some of my favorite characters i think some of the animals the humans are really interesting because i get to explore a lot of different types of human nature and and what happens to them when they're put under pressure and it's funny how like the main character in the first book i am she's not my favorite person she actually drives me crazy (laughs) and yet i write her exactly as she is is, even though she drives me insane like i want to grab her by the scruff of the neck sometimes so i'm gonna be really cheeky enough (laughs) so (laughs) with authors i'm sure with inspiration 
they also take on, you know, might be personalities <laughs> around them that they may have in, encountered in their life or I don't know if there's other books they may have read and they kind of, you know, is there any kind of, what's your inspiration in terms <gasps> oh, of... Oh, there's a few. There's one of the evil characters is actually modelled, uh, one of the evil females and she's, oh, she's awful piece of work, but she's actually modelled on a bully from secondary school. <laughs> <laughs> But that makes it more relatable, I think, when it's a lot of... It's yeah, of it. yeah, and it helped me... It healed It did. It helped it me heal yeah. something quite quite powerful in myself. And uh, and some of the... And I'll be honest, some of the uh, more nefarious characters helped me explore, say, more shadow aspects of my own self, uh, which was really interesting. And as a writer, it gave me the chance to... And as a female writer, to push the envelope because... You know, while there's a lot of whimsy in the book, there is also a lot of really dark, dark writing that that goes into uh, quite a lot of violence. And um, but I feel like that's the nature of existence. There is the light and there is the dark. Um, there is real goodness and peace, but there's also extreme violence and hate. So I really try to explore all of those in in the books. And this idea of these people trying to negotiate paths towards good or paths towards evil, but everyone thinks they're right. Mm-hmm. So exactly. yeah, and just and this idea of, of realms that exist beyond here and now as well, because I've always been fascinated by that too. So yeah, it's, it's I get to explore a lot. It reminds me a lot of um, Harry Potter sometimes. <laughs> well, I always <laughs> describe the the books to people as uh, Harry. It's sort of like Lord either Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings <laughs> meets Da Vinci Code. You sort of get an idea there. So, and if people want to purchase, uh, it's on Amazon. Uh, it's yeah. in Kindle and uh, Kindle and paperback. Or uh, people can contact me directly. I usually have a stock on hand. So. And you've also gone under a non diplume. <laughs> I have. Right? You did. Non-diplume. You did. Yeah. Well, I chose to write actually as S.V. Wolf because I felt like I could push the envelope without Susie Savannah getting in the way where I might go to write something quite violent and hear my dad in the back of my head going, oh, you can't be writing that down. <laughs> you could read it. Suzanne. You were you know. boundless in your Yeah. Whereas... As SV, I can do whatever she chooses yeah. to write as. If I, if and and SV doesn't necessarily have a gender because sometimes to write uh, a very like a brutal scene that involves a knife or or guns, I have to step into a more masculine aspect of myself. Um, and I I will often you know talk. I've I've actually talked to a friend of mine on occasion to say you know how would I go about this you know to yeah. sort of get the, the correct understanding of, say, what I would do with a knife in a situation or, you know, different things where there's combat and stuff like that. So, And then there's more feminine aspect of myself and even just to push, push the envelope in terms of writing sexy stuff because I'm not comfortable writing some of that. So I'd, I start squirming if I'm writing that as Susie, but SV was like, no, we're going to write all this. We're going to put it all down so I don't... You know, hear my scandalized grandparents in the back of my head or my, my dad, because being in theater, I have a very vivid imagination. <laughs> so <laughs> if my father is giving out to me in the back of my head, he's giving out to me. It's not, 
imagined it's like oh my god I better not do that so it's it was nice to actually step out of that and find this creative fun way to go all right well you know what we'll be somebody else do you know and that's also drawing on theater there where I've played so many different roles over the years and you you can be anyone you want and it's nice because what it did was free the mind from any social or cultural constraints it might have had there's there's no rules now there's none there's just sb wolf writing a book I love it, Susie. It, it's just, it's incredible, your mind and how you think and your creativity. I just love it. About your yoga exploration. <laughs> hey, guys, I'm here with Susie, the author, S.V. Wolf of Serpents and Saviors. Susie, tell us, then you found yourself traveling into yoga. I did, Kira. Um, so, yeah, I'd sort of done the archaeology degree and then I, I published this book and then I was sort of at this strange crossroads at the end of 2018 because I still hadn't really I was hoping the archaeology would have led me into something that you know was going to redefine the rest of my life because Mm -hmm. I mean I was what 46 or something by that stage so um, I I really wanted I was sort of a little bit lost because I'd left the theatre behind because while I was in college I'd I'd joined a group in Galway and I'd been performing in the the town hall theatre in shows just to make sure it was out of my blood and it was, I I really had said goodbye to that in a wonderful way Um, and so I had an opportunity to go to India and so yoga has always been a part of my life I used to do yoga with my mother when I was 11 from 11 years of age Um, and like breath work and meditation and uh, asana practice. So asana is the postures. And so I went to India to do 200 hours of yoga training. Now I'd, I'd been teaching a little bit of yoga. It had always been part of my dance and theater practice anyway. It was always part of my own personal practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to decide to go do 200 hours of training was... Uh, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it was. It was an, an athlete yeah, <laughs> expedition. It was. It actually was like a six-week boot camp in the end because the Indians, because I went to Rishikesh in northern India, and uh, when I say they take no prisoners, they mm-hmm. take no prisoners. You're up at half five every morning, ready to go by six, and you'll work right through till 6 p.m., and oh it's it's tough. Hours. Oh, there were days I would curl up and weep. <laughs> I was just going to say <gasps> because I pushed my body in ways and I the wasn't. Lightning, I think. Yeah, <laughs> but it was powerful because they underpin everything with meditation and with yeah. the deep philosophy behind yoga. And I'd always been interested in the philosophy behind yoga and the idea of you know it's a way of life. And so I came back from that and started teaching because I was qualified and so I phased more and more into yoga and um, and teaching with special needs and, and different groups in Athlone and then uh, I had the opportunity to go back again so I decided I'm going to go and do my 300 hours training so that was at the end of 2019 so I went back for more punishment another six <laughs> weeks um, uh, which was interesting because four or five days in I turned my ankle so badly that uh it, it was wasn't quite broken. I don't know. I don't think. Uh, I didn't get X-rays, Ugh, but I, I was looked after very well. It was very. Uh, I'd say I'd had severe ligament and tendon damage, uh, so I would did most of my training on one leg and my two hands. But it was worth it. I learned a lot about the body and how to 
Because it was a blessing in disguise because what I really focus on now is rehabilitating people through yoga, uh, helping them to understand how their structure works for them. And that's not just in terms of the mind and the spirit, but in terms of your skeleton and your muscles and how everything works in a synergy together. And so I really focus on that in classes um, and with one-to-one clients, just teaching them how to work with their body, whether they're pregnant or they're recovering from an injury or back problems, because, you know, between the the foot and I myself have, um, I have, in like after my second child was born, I was basically cripple and it was yoga that rehabilitated me in the end um because i have two herniated discs in my lower back but you wouldn't know no 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 no. kira Kira knows me she knows (laughs) you'd have no idea that other than in certain postures you can see i don't quite have the flexibility in the back but um but you can adjust for that and i found myself only getting stronger and stronger uh and especially, see, I'm sliding into, I turned 50 on Monday, so, and I'm, I feel younger and fitter than even when I was in secondary school. And she doesn't look it. No. <laughs> Thanks. She I must admit, I got asked for ID the other day, and I just nearly went and kissed the woman's feet. It was great. <laughs> um, and that's also down to mindset, too. I, I, even if I'm, and again, I go back to my theatre work, it's that understanding deep inside, I'm okay. And I truly seek that place of being okay and it may not always mean joy because that's that's an extreme of an emotion or or being lost in in a in a sad day but finding that place where i'm okay where i can walk outside and what can pull me out of my mood is doing some stretches that are yoga based and then i see the sunshine i'm go oh my god look where i am this world is amazing so reminding myself to come back to a place of gratitude and love and that's why i love yoga because it does it brings me into my body and always brings me back to a place of gratitude and love and peace and i mean that's the the you know you have a in yoga you can have your dharma which is that that calling it's like a mm-hmm. vocation and then the bhakti which is the devotion of that yeah. so i really f- am very much it's a devotion for me and it's become such a part of me that it's it's no different than breathing or eating or sleeping there is breathing eating sleeping and yoga and it's all yoga you know sitting here today talking to you is yoga the beautiful trajectory of my career is yoga the smile on my face is yoga the sparkle in your eyes is yoga you know the connections with people is yoga and it's not just about on the mat but I really encourage people to find that place of stopping when they come to my classes let's stop it's all about you that's my mantra it's not my yoga it's your yoga yeah and I know you just saying <laughs> the word yogi that is <laughs> so someone who does yoga that is yogi <laughs> little yogis and yoginis oh I just say it's just I'm that. doing yoga so that. Yeah, and there's a lovely sense of peace that comes. So I really do teach a lot of mindfulness and embodiment because we're not embodied enough anymore. We can stay in the head so much or stuck in an emotional state that if you don't ground it in the earth, then it it's not going to go anywhere. It stays in the body and it causes dis-ease and unstableness in the mind and the body and the more you bring stuff into balance the less any of these things become a problem exactly and i think what's really fascinating and even having attended your classes a lot of the time 
it's not like it's it's not a toxic positivity environment. You teach a lot of perspective, and I think mm. that's what's interesting about the class. Is you know, it's not your typical yoga class. You come out with knowledge that you didn't have going in, Correct. and a different perspective. And I think that's why people then you seem to you know people flock and flock and flock to your classes because they're looking for something different that they may not have necessarily got in other types of fitness so it's it's more i suppose the connection with the the skeletal the mind the body the spirits i love the way you combine all those elements oh very much so and and i hold space i'm i'm i really like to know that there's a nurturing place for people to go where they can unwind and it I think so because exercising it's a what's the word it's a vulnerable environment for mm-hmm. some people correct so I love that everyone feels so comfortable and safe to be themselves and I think that's what's important that you really yeah. hold that and, and I'll push you a little bit but not so much that you don't want to come back I mean they all keep coming back so I'm doing something right <laughs> um, so yeah it's good absolutely it's good and then Lomi Lomi yes so as part of this understanding of yoga and bodies I decided to do Lomi Lomi massage training. So Lomi Lomi is Hawaiian massage and it works on two really, really important principles that I would say inform yoga as well, which is um, aloha and mahalo. And aloha is to always live with love and mahalo is to live in gratitude. And that is the way in which the Lomi Lomi massage is done. And it's, it's also delivered in a slightly different way. You use your hands, but mostly you would use your forearms and it's a deep, dynamic, flowing strokes with people. So, And you use a lot of focused intention and intuition when you're massaging somebody because you're trying to release not just physical blockages but energetic blockages as well because you really want to restore people's health and balance in not just body but also in their mind and in their spirit. So because I'm really working with other people's innate wisdoms in their body i'm the least important person in the room whether i'm doing yoga or i'm doing lomi it's i am merely a conduit for transformation and it's gentle and powerful and that's what i love about it it's teach anyone that comes to the table with me now they're same as yoga they're learning more about themselves their thoughts their feelings their impact on their own health and their life and they get to understand that natural dance-like rhythm uh, which is like the ebb and flow of the ocean that allows you to move in and out of different states of being to move in and out of tension with ease, to move in and out of sadness with ease, to move in and out of grief with ease, to move in and out of joy with ease, to move in and out of happiness with ease. So it teaches you to, to like ebb and flow, like the ocean and even to move in and out of anger with ease and to find places that we can learn to be more and more gentle with ourselves and again it creates such an unconditional loving space of being held and for me that is the most satisfying part of what I do is being able to hold space for these people not just on mats but on the table as well because again it's like it's not my lomi it's your lomi it's not my yoga it's your yoga and it's about you getting in touch with you so that one day you don't even need me anymore you just come because it's fun and it's not even a space of need it's it's you're there for you you're showing up for you you're showing up for you and your spirit and yourself and your soul and your life and your own happiness and that's what makes me happy and it's, it's what filled my 
It was the motivation behind all my theatre work. It's why I write books. They're very much there for everyone else. You know, I get what I need out of it because it fills my soul, but it's it's about bringing the joy wherever I can. So, yeah. Susie, you're an inspiration. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy how much wealth of knowledge you have on so many different industries, aspects, interests. And uh, to be honest with you, I think it's, it's so important for everyone at some point in their life to look into heritage and culture. And I think you're someone who really explores yeah, that. And your own. Do archaeology on yourself. Like, do your own self-archaeology and don't be afraid to reinvent yourself. Like, I've re- as you can hear from my career here, I've reinvented myself many times. And I know this time around, I almost got very depressed and down and thinking I couldn't do it because I was heading towards 50. Mm-mm. It's all lies. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want. And I may reinvent myself again at 60. Who knows what I could be then? Well, I'm going to tell you something. My mom often says, and my aunt actually do say that, actually, um, women to watch are the women that hit 50. Like, watch out, because they're most dangerous. (laughs) Because they're liable to do anything at that point, because they're so... At that point, they have no no concerns, no cares. They know who they are, what they want, and they're not afraid to, 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 what's the word, shine their light in a room. And I think that's really important, I think. So, guys, it's definitely... If any of you listen in and you're hitting that phase in your life, um, you're one to watch. Oh, yeah, embrace it. And if you feel that inspiration and that vision to do something different, do it because you've got this one beautiful life. So use it and live it well because it's all yours and it is precious. I think so. I think it's it's experiences where it's at, isn't it? Absolutely. I think so many people hold themselves back and put doubts there, but you can't do that. And what I love is that you're fearless. You might have the fear, but you do it anyway. Oh, gosh, yeah. That's actually a lot more... I think that takes a lot more bravery and courageousness. Well, they say courageousness isn't the absence of fear. It's feeling the fear and choosing to do it anyway. That's exactly it. Yeah. This is why I've chosen this song, um, Susie, Beyonce Halo. Um, This song goes way back. And Susie actually uh, got me to perform this song. But uh, we sung it together um, in a beautiful play. And there was other people that I was friends with at the time. anyway, And we were all... Um, doing this beautiful, beautiful scene that Susie had completely directed us all in, and it was just so elegant and what's the word, Susie? It was a it was powerful. It's still yeah. one of my favorite pieces to go back and watch. I have to say because that was the time we discovered that you could sing, Kira, <laughs> and that it wasn't just a singer that was standing there, but somebody that was so magnificent that it blew the mind, and she had no idea. So yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Susie. This is my pleasure. (laughs) Thank you so much, Susie, for coming into studio today and telling us your beautiful story. You're an incredible individual with so much to offer to people around you in your lives. You're so inspirational. If people want to attend your yoga classes, how can they find you? Uh, the best thing to do is look for Susie Savannah on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, I think as far as I know, I'm still the only Susie Savannah. So it's S-U-Z-I-S-A-V-A-N-A-H. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook and just private message me. And that's the best way to get hold of me. Sorry. And you have a Monday? Night? I have a Monday night class in Athlone. I have a private class in Moat on a Tuesday. So unfortunately, that one's completely booked out and I have a class up in Banagher in Offaly as well and I do private sessions with people. 
perfect. Thank you so much, Susie. <laughs> Listen, guys, thank you all for tuning in.